What do you think? Should I do black nails or pink for a pop of color at Turning Point USA's Young Women's Leadership Summit? The theme is really dark and edgy vibe, so I wonder if black nails will be too dark and I should get hot pink. I guess you'll have to see what I decide for yourself June 2nd through 4th in Dallas at the biggest conference for conservative young women. Hear from your favorite big names in the conservative movement like Ali Beth Stuckey, Candace Owens, Lila Rose, Sarah Palin, and Kaylee McEnany having conversations about things that are important for women. All ages are welcome. Go to tpusa.com slash YWLS and use code POPLITICS for 25% off your tickets. This would make a great graduation gift, by the way. That's tpusa.com slash YWLS with code POPLITICS for 25% off. had a lot of stomach-churning episodes on this podcast, listening to abduction survivors recant their abuse, people who have endured life-changing burns over the majority of their body, and even had their arms melted off due to electrocution. But nothing prepared me for this interview with someone who spent a huge chunk of her career being trained by the LGBTQ lobby in Planned Parenthood to teach sex ed to elementary and middle school-aged children. If you are a parent, I am begging you to listen to this entire episode, even when you feel the urge to turn it off because it is too hard to hear. And I promise there will be those parts. And even if you're not a parent like me, listen to this and start thinking about your education plan for your future kids and share this episode with absolutely every parent of school-aged children you know. My guest today is a former Title X training manager as well as a former Planned Parenthood volunteer educator. She spent more than 10 years teaching comprehensive sex education to children only to become more and more horrified by the statistics that she saw and the children she heard from. She even has a BA in psychology and a minor in educational psychology. She's a certified building family connections instructor, a sexual risk avoidance specialist, a certified heritage keepers instructor, which offers abstinence education programs. She's a sexually transmitted disease instructor and founder of It Takes a Family, an organization that advocates for children by equipping parents with the right tools to lead their children so that schools don't have to. The beginnings of her career prove that good intentions truly do not equal good outcomes. So while she still dedicates her life to children and how to best educate them, her approach now is family-oriented so that parents can be empowered in a climate where educators and special interest groups think that they have a right to children. It's safe to say that the education she does now has the best interest of all children at heart. And frankly, I think someone like her is a school system's worst nightmare, and I am here for it. Because at the end of the day, children don't belong to the system they serve. They belong to the parents who made them. Please welcome Monica Klein to The Spillover. Monica, you're a former comprehensive sex educator trained by LGBTQ and Planned Parenthood. And now you're pro-family, you're pro-life, you're a Christian. Please tell us the story of how you got there and then how you got out. Yeah, that, that's an unusual story, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes. OK, so Alex, I've, I did that for over uh, 10 years and um, and I was deep in uh, the gay community as well with my parenthood, did everything in HIV AIDS. Um, this was my community. I mean, honestly, they mentored me and I did all this out of compassion. I mean, I did it because I right out of college. I mean, I knew that HIV was a problem and, and this was in the 90s um, and and I wanted to do my part. I, I had compassion. I wanted to help the marginalized population. And this was the way to do it. And so when I was hired on by this gay organization, they wanted to teach me everything about the gay culture. It's how important it was, how important it was for sex education. And I thought, hey, if this is how I'm going to help people, then absolutely. So um, these people, you know, my colleagues, you know, they just became my family. Are you public about what this organization was called or is it still around? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's still around. I don't know that they receive uh, any any public health funding anymore, but it was the um, Austin Latino Latina Lesbian and Gay Organization. 
And uh, and the, at the time, they had HIV funding for case management as well as prevention. So that's the program that I was involved in. And they but wanted they you to also, go into schools to talk to kids about sex and LGBTQ issues? Well, they did, uh, which is exactly why they sent me over to Planned Parenthood. So part of my funding uh, requirements was that I were to I needed to reach women of childbearing age, women of color, childbearing age. And that was in our community that we're at. It was a specific zip code that we're located in, considered by the government to be high risk for STDs and unplanned pregnancies. Then they said you need to start teaching children. So go across the street to Planned Parenthood and the director of sex education is going to teach you how to speak to children. And so then that woman uh, became my mentor and we, she just trained me one-on-one and uh, became someone in my life that mentored me throughout my career. In what age range does comprehensive sex education target? And then what range did you tend to teach? So it targets very much like the, the grant language stated, which is women of childbearing age. And so in the realm of Planned Parenthood and family planning, that is going to be any young girl who just started her period or will is about to start her period. So So is it fair to say that that could mean that you were talking and teaching kids about sex that were as young as fifth grade? We're talking about nine, 10 years old. That is shocking. Shocking. And that was exactly what my mentor told me at Planned Parenthood. She she actually started my training by letting me know that girls as young as 10 were coming into the clinic to be tested for sexually transmitted diseases, for abortions, and in some cases, even to remove objects from their bodies. Uh, So it was very uh, evident that abuse was happening to these young girls. And that's how I took it. When she told me, I said, hey, this is this is abuse. They're obviously in situations that they shouldn't be in. Teach me how to teach these girls how not to be sexually active, how to avoid these situations that is causing them to be abused. And she immediately corrected me, actually patted me on the knee. And she said, no, dear, we're not teaching these girls not to be sexually active. We're teaching them how to do it safer. Uh, She said, we meet them where they're at. We've heard that language before, meet them where they're at. And then we just teach them how to do it safer. Uh, So she also let me know that if I ever told these young girls to stop having sex, to choose abstinence or to avoid sexual activity, that I was going to be judging them and making them feel bad about themselves. And so that that was not allowed. We weren't allowed to talk about that. Uh, We were just supposed to teach them how to do it safer. Right. When you say that you were hearing from Planned Parenthood that young girls were coming in with objects stuck in them, you were under the impression that was from adults that were abusing them or that these were girls that were just confused about sex and they were like, you, I mean, this is just super graphic, but using objects to masturbate and then they were getting stuck and they were too scared to go to their pediatrician or or what does that mean? So um, since you're asking me, I'll let you know. She said that there were toys that, um, and not necessarily sex toys, but uh, like little toy cars and other things like that. Um, she explained that it was possible that they were having sex with other children, their own age, and that they were just, I don't know, experimenting. Uh, that was her language. Uh, in some cases it was, um, toys meant just for sex as well. And, uh, and so they would come in scared because they had these objects inside of themselves and they didn't know how to remove them. Um, so it was that bad. And in my 10 years of working alongside Planned Parenthood, cause I was never, uh, an employee of theirs. They, they trained me and then I trained them. But in those 10 years, um, they admitted to me that they always saw young girls coming in who admitted that they were having sex with adult men. Um, they were very proud that traffickers would come in. Of course, back then we called them pimps, that they would come in with, pro- with their girls, their prostitutes, and that they, they meaning Planned Parenthood, were really proud that they provided quote unquote, health care to these girls, because then where else would they go? So they really took a lot of pride in hiding illegal activity. Um, when I pressed them on these young girls who were basically experiencing statutory rape, which is illegal. Uh, and by 2009 or so, it was a federal offense and considered uh, human trafficking. They laughed at me and they dismissed it. 
And they literally said, these girls have chosen to be sexually active and it's what they want. They're not victims. So um, I reminded them of the law that you have to ask the age of her partner. And they said, well, it's, if it's good enough for the military, it's good enough for us. Don't ask, don't tell. So if I don't ask the age of her partner, then I don't have to report it. And, uh, and that was the, you know, multiple Planned Parenthoods that I was training in South Texas. So it was very common in the time that I worked alongside Planned Parenthood that they did not believe they have a very distorted view of our children and a very distorted view of sex. When you were teaching these kids, I mean, what was a day to day like for you? Were you in an office? Were you always in a classroom at a school? Were you out on the street reaching people directly? How did you communicate this sex education to kids? Um, A lot of times it was going into the schools, um, whether it was Planned Parenthood or a teacher would call me. Usually it was a rogue teacher. Schools did not allow us to go into the schools. And so really, yeah, so really um, most of the time these teachers had a class in a portable building around the back of the school and they would just let me know to park in the parking lot and that they would let me in. And, uh, And so I would teach kids sex ed that way. Other times, uh, Planned Parenthood would ask me to go into um, some of these schools, like an alternative school with children who are already considered high risk, and I would teach them there. And then, but part of my job was to do, you know, I was a street outreach worker. So I would wear regular clothing and I would walk the streets of high risk neighborhoods. So uh, one of those areas were just to go visit and do outreach at government housing. And so when I knew that the bus was going to drop off the kids, I was there every day or maybe every Wednesday, whatever, as long as I was consistent so that they knew I would be there. And then we would talk to the kids and hand out condoms and lubrication. Uh, But that was also to their families. So many of these women who were living in government housing were, you know, were sex workers. And so I would visit them in the mornings and drop off a bag full of condoms for them. And this was the day to day. Um, 12th and Chicon still today in Austin is considered an area where many IV drug users basically hung out. So I would go there and teach them how to clean their needles or go to the needle exchange so that they could get new needles. Um, And so that was the day to day. The government literally paid, they pay outreach workers to do this 40 hours a week um, on a consistent basis. And that was the way that we were able to build trust in the community. So they always knew that Monica was going to be there on Tuesday at nine o'clock in the morning at the laundromat. And so after a while, they just, I just became part of the community. So they were open to talking to me about whatever they were concerned about. And I would provide referrals and to Planned Parenthood or to other organizations in the community. What you're describing, Monica, sounds like a drug dealer, but when it comes to teaching kids about sex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I've described it in my speeches before as well, that if you were to look at what it's like for, you know, what steps a predator would take to condition or break down the inhibitions for a child to start becoming sexually active, they look very similar to what comprehensive sex education does because, When Planned Parenthood taught me how to talk to children, although on one hand they said children are very modest, they're not going to just tell you what they're doing, um, but yet they're telling me, but they're doing everything. And so this 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 uh, educator, uh, my my mentor at Planned Parenthood, she actually said, when you walk into a room full of children, I want to imagine that they've done anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they haven't, they will. So it's your job to teach them about every sexual activity and how to reduce the risk by using condoms, lubrication, getting tested and having abortions, because it's not a matter of if they'll get a disease or if they'll get pregnant, but it's a matter of when. So that was always a big part of it. So really they're, they're building customers for life. So it's really just very similar to a predator. So she said, you need to break down their inhibitions. And she taught me several icebreakers to help the kids. What were some of those icebreakers? So the most common icebreaker, and I've actually seen them in, in curricula today that is still being used in schools is to have the kids shout out every slang term for their body parts and for sexual activities. And it's really crass. Um, but they start to notice that, you know, the adult in the room or the authority in the room is giving them permission to do it. So they start to do it. Um, either I would write it on a whiteboard or I would have them write it on post-its and they put it up on the wall. 
But basically, you just see this collage of crass terminology on the wall. You hear the kids shouting it out. And so now they've basically, you know, what I tell parents today is like, really, that exercise is to reduce their inhibitions. And now they basically equate their bodies, their private parts and sexuality with, you know, they're just objectifying themselves. They're just dehumanizing one another. And that's a big part of it because once once this education dehumanizes the child, once they, they teach the children to objectify themselves and each other, then they get, you know, they obviously get conditioned to continue doing these activities that they teach them. And then they dehumanize the preborn child through abortion. Right. So it's just a really natural next, next step. So the whole activity is to break down their inhibitions. And once they're comfortable talking about these things in such a crass way, they start moving towards talking about various uh, sexual activity. Um, some of the other activities are role-playing. You still see those in curricula today. Role-playing um, like uh, what kinds of things would they be role-playing? Because obviously you're not teaching them abstinence. So you're not teaching them how to say no to sex. So what would you be role-playing then? So what they do is um, like, for example, when parents say, well, yeah, kids should learn how to use a condom. I, I hate when I hear parents say stuff like that. But anyway, um, well, this is what it really looks like when Comprehensive sex education teaches kids how to use a condom. They teach them how to eroticize it. And that's where the role playing comes in. So, for example, they'll say, you know, it's, it's a lot of times guys aren't going to want to use a condom. They're going to feel uncomfortable. Um, so you need to learn how to put it on and you can put it on in various creative ways. It doesn't always have to be with your hands. You so are telling me, hold on a minute, Monica, you're telling me yeah. that these adults are telling kids sometimes 10, 11, 12 years old, put a condom on for a boy with your mouth to make it more fun and creative before you have sex? If if it's not in the curriculum to do it at 10 years old, but those questions come up, they will absolutely teach that. And this is still happening today in our schools. Yeah. What's interesting, Alex, is that back then we didn't have a curriculum. This was all taught from mentor to mentor, basically. But all of it, as I read curriculum today, it's all the same activities that we taught back then. Um, now we didn't, uh, we weren't so open about teaching kids about transgenderism or sexual orientation necessarily, but we were taught to say things like, uh, in other words, if I was teaching a group of girls, I was still going, I would still teach them about oral sex on a girl, uh, and we would just talk about behaviors because we were taught by Planned Parenthood and by the gay organization that I was working with is, hey, kids are inhibited. They're not going to tell you what they're doing. They're also not going to tell you that they're having same sex sexual activity. So you just talk about every behavior. So absolutely, those kids were exposed to every behavior. And it was justified by saying, you have to teach them how to reduce the risk. And you have no idea what they're doing. So you have to tell them everything so that they know how to reduce the risk. So if they're using sex toys, then you have to teach them how to clean them and not to share them. And if you do, then you have to make sure they're clean or put a condom on. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And then these scenarios, uh, when I was mentioning about the condom use, isn't not only about, it's about eroticizing it to make sure that their partner would use it. So then those role plays are how to talk to your partner in an erotic way to convince them to use the condom. Um, and so basically these young girls who probably are not sexually active anyway, are, are now going, are actually role playing an activity where they're coming up with language and then acting it out with one another um, and, and speaking it. And so you have to think about when you, as a teacher, even when you're thinking about teaching adults or children things, you know, they're going to listen to something. They're going to hear it. They're going to speak it. Now they're going to role play it. I mean, that's really starting to just indoctrinate that child to the point that now it's becoming normalized. So if they do find themselves in that position, even if they didn't want to, let's say they go to a party, but they didn't expect that to happen. Well, they've already practiced it in class. So yeah. why does it seem like a big deal to do it in It person? doesn't seem like uh, edgy. It, it seems more like training the kids how to have sex, how to do, you know, any type of sexual activity. It doesn't really seem like we're going to educate them so that they just know in case like, no, no, no. It's almost like teaching them how to do it. It is teaching them how to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. I am it so is. uncomfortable. Like this makes me physically like I feel sick in my stomach listening to this and I don't even have yeah. kids. 
I mean, when you were doing this, and this was in what, the early 2000, like 90s, early 2000s? I started in 1996. Yeah. So, Monica, when you were doing this, I mean, if you were teaching, if you if your goal doing this job wasn't to keep kids from having sex, then what were you hoping, I guess, that you were going to achieve with these lessons? So when I was doing this, well, one, I think I was also a very different person. Um, I, my first reaction was to teach these kids not to have sex. Cause I thought that they're 10, what are you talking about? And I wasn't sexually active when I was in middle or high school. Um, so I, I, I was like, no, uh, but then here, here was Planned Parenthood. Here was, you know, this organization that was receiving government from government funding from the CDC for HIV prevention. Here's the STD clinic that we worked with closely as well. Uh, here I am working with all these organizations that are receiving government funding to do this. And they're telling me that children are doing this. And if I wanted to help them to not have diseases or, or even try to help them to not become pregnant, and this was the only option I was given, I started to believe that that was the only option. And at least we were doing something. Right. Um, and so I, I really did justify it thinking that I actually was helping. Um, but there were times that the teenagers started to show me that this wasn't something that they liked. And so I listened to that. What was um, one was of those an, times? Well, there, there's uh, one time Planned Parenthood asked me to go to an alternative school to teach about prevention and uh, or sex education. And uh, so these kids, boys and girls, about I would say they're about 13 years old. In an alternative school, they've been basically kicked out of every other school. So this is like, you know, the last last resort they have to actually get an education. So if you imagine these kids are possible, who knows, violent, disobedient, whatever they've done to be kicked out of other schools. So they're pretty rowdy. And I start the conversation like I normally would with, li we literally listed the different forms of sexual activity on the blackboard behind us uh, or a dry erase board. So oral, anal, vaginal. And then I would list the sex, uh, you know, bodily fluids that contained or could transmit HIV and other diseases like semen, vaginal secretions and blood. And I would just start the conversation about transmission and how to reduce the risk by using condoms, et cetera. And a little girl raised her hand and she was not being disrespectful and she was, they were not even being rowdy. Um, and I'll clean up her language a little bit if <laughs> just because, but she did say, uh, or she asked, she said, when I give boys, you know, when I'm involved in this sexual activity with boys, I gag, can you teach me how to do it better? <gasps> and that, that really, um, even though I was all admit, I mean, I was, I was a liberal back then. It shocked me. I mean, this is a little girl. I mean, just clear, beautiful, dark skin, hair braided away from her face, but just this oh. precious, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, I still remember her face, just so beautiful. Um, and, uh, and it really shocked me to hear her say that and so casually and that she didn't. So I, I, I just basically repeated her question to her because I wanted her to understand what she just asked and, uh, and to clarify. And so I said, okay, so when you do this, you gag and you don't like that. You don't, you, you don't like this reaction. Is that right? She said, you're right. I, I don't like it, but if you teach me how to do it better, maybe I will like it. And so what did you do? So then I just told her, well, first off, have you considered just not doing the activity you don't like? If you don't like it, don't do it. And all the kids just looked at me really innocently and quietly, and they didn't look judged like my parent had told me that they would look like. They were very calm. Like I just said something really important to them. And I realized that. And I said, guys, do you realize you don't have to have sex at all? You don't have to have oral sex. And I pointed at the board behind me. You don't have to have vaginal sex. You don't have to have anal sex. And if you don't, you won't be in touch with any of these bodily fluids. And if you don't have, you know, if you don't exchange bodily fluids with someone, you don't have to worry about disease or pregnancy. Like you don't have to do this. And the same little girl raised her hand again. And she said, ma'am, no one's ever told us that. Oh my gosh, and, my heart. Oh yeah. Yeah. And my heart as well. Um, and that was, I do believe that was God planting those seeds and showing me the reality of what these programs are really doing in our community. And so my heart goes out not only to the children, 
but to the adults in those communities, because those women didn't have to be sex workers. They just believe that they have to be. Um, those men don't have to leave their families. Um, it, but what's happening, Alex, is that those, those, those communities are being bombarded with these quote unquote helpful programs from the government. And all they're doing is destroying families. They're just destroying these communities. Um, and so, you know, I, I rose up the ladder and I was uh, trained. I went to the CDC and, and chose my evidence-based interventions. I implemented the uh, needs assessments, you know, in the communities and more and more, I just continued to see that we were just slowly enabling and slowly killing these people. Um, it was not helping them. You know, uh, you know, now you're, you're hearing Biden talking about giving crack pipes to people for harm reduction. That's exactly right. what comprehensive sex education is. It is a harm reduction intervention. It's called risk reduction. It is continue to do the dangerous activity that you're doing. And we're just going to teach you how to do it a little safer by either cleaning your pipe. Don't share your pipe. I'll give you a new pipe. Same thing. I'll give you condoms. We'll give you lubrication to reduce the friction. But because we know none of that is going to work, you can come here to the methadone clinic. You can come here and get tested and treated for your diseases. You can come here and we'll abort your babies. Harm reduction just enables people to continue in that lifestyle. And it just, it, it slowly kills them. And that's what I finally realized, which is why I finally left. Do you still keep in contact at all with anyone that is currently working in comprehensive sex education with children? Because I'm curious what you know about just this new, um, you know, movement of people saying that it's homophobic or transphobic not to introduce LGBTQ lifestyles into the classroom and what your response has been to that. Um, I don't talk to them. I know that when I quit, I, you know, the, like I said, these were people that had mentored me uh, since college. So they were really surprised that all of a sudden I was speaking like a pro-lifer, even though I didn't have that, that label. Um, they said I was judging these children for having sex. I was like, wow, how do you not see that we're harming children when we teach them this stuff? Um, and so they, so no, they don't, they don't talk to me anymore. Um, they don't believe what you just said though, that they're, you know, what, what they believe is what Alfred Kinsey taught. And so when I first left comprehensive sex education and I sat at home reevaluating, like, how did I do this for 10 years? How was I so blind? There are certain things that God would bring to my remembrance. And one of those things was, um, how the gay organization as well as Planned Parenthood continue to hail Alfred Kinsey as their hero, uh, Alfred Kinsey, they, by their own admission, is the father of sex education today. And he is. And who is um, he? A quick summary for people that don't uh, know. Yeah. So Alfred Kinsey wrote two books in the 40s, The uh, Sexual Behavior of the Human Male and The Sexual Behavior of the Human Female. And his whole uh, conclusion is that children are sexual from birth and therefore deserve and have the right to sexual pleasure from birth. Uh, that well, this sounds sex, like a pedophile to me. He is. He's absolutely pedophile. And for whatever reason, he um, he was very uh, demented, obviously, uh, against himself. Um, he actually died because he had this strange um, desire to harm himself in his privates, which uh, which he found pleasure in which eventually led to his death. What? Um, he, oh yeah, he was, he was very, and all of this is documented. Monica, you know, you know the story, you know, Dr. John Money, who is like the oh, guy yeah. that came up with the whole, all the trans stuff. And then you're talking about this guy, Kinsey, right? It's like the two guys that are in charge of the LGBTQ agenda, the trans agenda and all this, yep. this whole movement, both of them were pedophiles. Absolutely. There are two types of women in this world. Those that dream of the country homestead life and those that dream of big cities and bright lights. When I was 16, I definitely was the latter. I wanted this hustle and bustle. I wanted to be in New York City and under the high pressure of working for one of those top fashion magazines. And now as I wind down my 20s, I think I see the benefits of that country life off the grid, like how healthy it is for kids' development to be in nature. And I wonder if maybe I'll want that for my own family one day. 
Whether you're a country mouse or a city mouse, having farm fresh meat is a reality for you and your family with Moink. That's moo plus oink. Moink! Moink meat gets delivered right to your door with a subscription that you customize. I love it and you will too. I get grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught salmon that tastes like it should. Moink is helping save rural America. Keep America farming by signing up at moinkbox.com spillover right now. And cute servatives that do that can get free filet mignon for a year on top of your subscription. That's one year of a difference you can taste, but only for a very limited time. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash spillover. That's moinkbox.com slash spillover. Um, now, he admitted all of it. He admitted, this is so weird. All of it is in his book. I actually bought his book on eBay and I prayed for weeks before I ordered it because it's like, oh, this is like the devil's book. <laughs> You know, but but I didn't want people to say, oh, you're making this stuff up. Like, no, I got yeah. the books. I got I, I bought the old ones from the 40s. I, I want people to see. Um, and he has it all documented in charts. He describes how the children reacted when they were basically torturing them. Uh, he timed them for climax. I mean, it's it's disgusting. Oh it's absolutely gosh. disgusting. I honestly don't think that even a lot of my coworkers back then understood who he really was. Um, one of the, the reasons the gay community also likes him so much isn't just because of sex education, but he, um, he, through his data, he quote unquote proved that people aren't really heterosexual, but that we actually all fall on a scale. Uh, and that really most people fall on the bi to homosexual. And so this is all over really TikTok. Uh, okay. Is he? Oh, really? Is it all? No, no, not necessarily him, but just this idea. This is what the left preaches oh. now is that everyone, everyone is on a sexuality spectrum. You, almost everyone, you know, is attracted to every gender or whatever. Yeah. Like this is what they talk about is everyone's on this spectrum. So this this ideology really goes back then all the way to the 40s, you're saying. Oh, absolutely. He's the he is the father of that philosophy. Um, again, if you read his studies, he got that because he um, interviewed pedophiles, convicted pedophiles, um, who and sexual offenders, and he got that data from them and basically said everything that these um, incarcerated sex offenders say is what's normal in our community. What? And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the gist of it. Um, I don't recommend people read his book, but if you want to look at it for yourself so that, you know, you don't have to just believe me, you certainly can do that. Um, but that, that is why the gay community likes him so much because now it's all relative. We're all, it's just fluid, you, you know, and that's why in so many of these curriculums, you see that they're teaching children not to be heteronormative because being heterosexual really isn't the norm. And so they're, they're redefining God's creation. They're redefining, obviously, male and female, they're redefining marriage, redefining sexual intimacy, redefining the role of children. Um, and, and you see this, you see this. And, and if you have a chance, I'll, I'll even send it to you. Um, I'm in a, in a documentary where we talk about this in, at great length. And we also talk about Alfred Kinsey and the history of Alfred Kinsey. What's the and documentary really, he's the called? father. Yeah. Oh, the documentary, the mind polluters, the mind polluters. Um, and we're showing it at the grassroots level right now. It'll be distributed by Faith Content Network. But um, we go through that history. Judith Reisman actually did extensive research into this man. Um, and what's really interesting as well is that um, he actually influenced Hugh Hefner to start Playboy. And so Hugh Hefner actually was this college uh, college student, and in the time at that time, um, most men were virgins, and so he was a virgin in college. He gets his hands on Alfred Kinsey's book, and it opened his world. And he decided his quote was that he wanted to be Alfred Kinsey's pamphleteer, and so he started Playboy. Um, and so then you start this open, you know, people openly accepting pornography. And so much of the pornography then is, and he had children in his first few issues of Playboy. And so Judith Reisman actually documented all of this. And so, uh, and a big reason why she did that is that her daughter had been raped 
a teenage boy in their building, in their apartment building. And the little, and it was reported that the, or there was an investigation and, and the little boy said that he was looking at pornography and he didn't realize that this was wrong. And so we start to see now that it's, you know, and we know, and you know, Alex and organizations like fight the new drug talking about how it's pornography. That's really pushing the sexual violence. Were you um, uh, you, trained to talk about pornography and and uh, minim, minimalize the negative effects of pornography in your comprehensive sex education? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was shown pornography uh, as part of my training. Um, so being part of this gay organization, like I said, the community, the gay community really wanted me to be immersed in gay culture, even anything that the men would do. So um that we had a library of porn and it was, it was presented that it was important to watch it because there was health information within the pornography that we could use when we talked to people in the community. Do you believe that that's true? No, I believe that they believe that that's true. They do believe it though. They do believe that that's true. Uh, and, and just to save your audience, I mean, I'm not going to describe what some of it was, but they, pretended that it was for health but it was just it was just filth it was just that's what i'm saying like i mean they honestly believe it or they were just trying to mask all of it as an excuse to watch porn at work um no i mean the the videos themselves uh uh, i won't give the detail but one of the videos for example was how to prepare yourself for anal sex um and so you know they're making it seem like it's a medical video but it's not Yeah. Um, At all. It's really not. And so, yeah, it was just an excuse to have it there. And guess what? That got paid by government funds because, hey, they have to show this to men who have sex with men. I cannot even explain to you how much that pisses me off. Like it genuinely makes me so angry that the money that I work hard for, the government can take it sometimes and use it for absolute filth and crud like that. Well, and and yeah, because we would go to um, sex shops and buy educational models because in Texas, we can't sell sex toys. And so they're considered educational models. Um, And that was paid for by taxpayer money um, for condom demonstrations, for example, and other demonstrations that that, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail on all that, but it was all very much the norm. And so you know, it's, it's the exact same thing that we see today. And and the truth is, is that, you know, so I was part of the team that was, I did most of my outreach to women and, but then my coworkers, you know, two men were reaching out to men. And one of them was a little bit younger than me at the time. We're in our twenties. And part of his outreach was to go to the, to the bathhouses and conduct outreach out there and, um, or to the forest. They took me to a forest one time so that I could see what it was like to do outreach in a forest with gay men. What does that mean? Um, Going to a forest with gay men? (laughs) I don't, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Maybe I should stop. No, this is like, this is eye opening. This is like so incredibly uncomfortable, but it's also important for people to understand this. So, well, yeah. And and I think I want to pause to say, the last thing I want to do is desensitize anyone because these things, right. in my opinion, are not only dangerous overall for our society, but my point in what I was about to share was that I could see how it was negatively affecting this young man who did identify with same-sex attraction. Um, and so it, it is very common that men who have sex with men um, are sexually active in public restrooms, but also in public places like forests, parks. And so they would go out there and they would put bags of condoms in the trees or, uh, or they were, okay, this is, this is what I don't understand. Like, so the LGBTQ community endorses this, like giving, putting condoms in all these public areas, putting them in forests and the trees for people to have sex. But to me, all of that sounds like it dehumanizes gay people. I would think that the LGBT community would be like, this is making us sound like animals. We don't, endorse this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that was my takeaway as I watched all this. And then part of it was, you know, that they give each other a certain kind of look. And then when they would give each other a certain look, it meant that they were going to, you know, go meet each other. And that's when, you know, my coworker would slip them a condom kit, but he wouldn't actually do anything with them. He would just give it to them so that they would have something and then he would leave, which is incredibly dangerous because if that guy gets mad, he could attack 
So he didn't like it. He was very uncomfortable at the bathhouses and doing all that. It really bothered him. And I told him that it was wrong. I said, this is absolutely wrong. You need to tell our supervisor that this is really inappropriate. It's disgusting. Uh, and that you want to stop this. Um, I did my, my, my supervisor did ask me what I thought about all of it. And I said, I think it's the saddest thing that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and he was very angry with me. And he said that that was gay culture. And I said, absolutely not. It, it isn't like, it, and I told him the same thing. Like, this is really dehumanizing and incredibly dangerous. I was like, don't you want better for your own people? Because he was a gay man. And he said, don't you want better for them? And he said, well, you don't understand because you're not, you know, you're not part of our community. Um, and that this is, this is what's healthy. This is what we have to do. I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, so he was mad at me for a little bit. But it is, you know, the truth is, you know, Alex, to bring it back, things that are so shocking, you know, when when I talk to school boards or when I train parents about how to talk about comprehensive sex education at their schools, how to get it out, things like that, you know, the CDC does state that LGBTQ youth are at higher risk than compared to their heterosexual peers, that they're at higher risk for sexual violence, they're at higher risk of not using condoms, they're at higher risk for all these things. And so I try to tell parents and parents of LGBTQ youth that it's it's also important that our gay youth are not sexualized, that we are we want to help these children to avoid sexual activity in childhood because it's not healthy. And the CDC is even demonstrating that. But the response of our government, instead of saying, you know, on one hand, they're saying sex is a high risk behavior for teenagers, for children. But then they're, the next thing out of their mouth is, so let's give them risk reduction. Let's just enable them to keep doing it with some risk reduction, condoms, et cetera. And that's not the, the public health message that we should be pushing. We should be saying it's high risk because it's not healthy for our children to be put in that position. Therefore, as a community and as a government, as a society, we should be moving towards protecting our children. And for me, that's why I founded It Takes a Family and why I do what I do is I now go and I talk to parents like you're the ones, you're the ones that are supposed to protect your kids. You're the ones that need to talk to their, to your children about sex and, and to, to be able to define it and teach them in a way that is honoring to them. It doesn't have to be graphic. And a lot of parents think that they think I'm supposed to talk to my kids the way Planned Parenthood does. Absolutely not. That's not how we're supposed to talk to our children. We're not supposed to expect that they're just going to start doing all these things. Children are, are modest. They really are inhibited, but our society is taking that modesty away from them. And it's doing it very much like a predator. That's what these programs are. They go in and they slowly break down our children's inhibitions and they move them towards sexual activity. Um, and the, you know what, the, the groups and the clubs for the LGBTQ youth are even worse. So even back then, you know, I'd walk into their little clubs after, and what I mean is like an after school club, not a right. nightclub, but just like a club. the gay straight Alliance and stuff. Exactly. And, you know, the one in Austin is called out youth. And as soon as you walked in, there was a fishbowl of condoms and a fishbowl of lube and a catalog of good vibrations. These are children and they're, they're highly sexualized. And so, you know, as a Christian woman today, I'm like, okay, I don't believe we're born that way. God does not want that for, for us. Um, but at the same time, if, if that's not what a parent is going to believe, the next thing I can do is say, stop sexualizing your child just because they have these feelings. Doesn't mean that you should just throw them to the wolves and tell them do whatever you want, or, or let these people tell you whatever you need to be, you know, to, to become sexually active. It's terribly unhealthy. And now we're at the point that we've even confused our, our children about gender. Um, right. And Planned Parenthood is one of not only the largest provider of abortion, they're the largest provider of sex education, and now they've become one of the largest providers of providing hormones to That's children. Right. Yep. Um, Second so, largest in the United States. We had Abigail Schreier on episode two of The Spillover, and she talked about that. Absolutely. So, so it's no wonder that education is being pushed so heavily by the left. Um, it ensures the future of these organizations. It ensures the future of a Marxist society, because the more that you do this, you're breaking down family. All of this is, is being done so that children do not talk to their children. Part of these programs are, we're going to teach you where to go get tested. 
We're going to teach you how to get birth control. We're going to teach you how to do these things without your parents knowing about it. All of this is to, to end the privatization of family. All of it is to create a wedge between parents and their children. And, and there's, and unfortunately they're succeeding. Um, and which is why I find it really important to talk to parents about how important their role is, you know? So one of the main things that I, you know, as I was again, thinking about how did I do this? Why did I do this? One of the other things that I remember that I always heard Planned Parenthood say is that parents are barrier to service. They, they said that every time I trained them on client counseling skills or anything, it would always inevitably come up. They needed to keep parents out of the picture. And they said that as soon as a parent knew that their child was going to Planned Parenthood, they'd never see that child again because parents would start to protect them and keep them away from Planned Parenthood. And the reason they're saying that as well is that they realize that parents are the number one enemy of Planned Parenthood. That means parents are powerful. They recognize that. They recognize that family is incredibly powerful, uh, the most powerful influence over a child's behaviors, attitudes, and values. And so if parents and the church were to start teaching once again from book, the book of Genesis, God's creation for humanity and our value in the image of God, if we were to just to do that, just like Deuteronomy tells us to do it, as we walk by the way, as we sit down, as we get up, as we lie down, as we you know wake all of it, if we were to do that diligently, our children would be much healthier. They would not be seeking it out from the world, or they would be able that when the world does teach them something, they would be able to discern that's not healthy. I'm going to go talk to my mom and dad about this because that's not healthy. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a big part of the solution of this is to really strengthen the family and to strengthen that confidence and trust within the family with your children. And that starts with a minute they're born. So if your child wants to talk to you for 15 minutes about a Snoopy pencil that they got at school or at mother's day out because they did something awesome, whatever it is, you listen to that kid and celebrate with them on their silly little pencil because that's their whole world at this moment. And if they start to get the message from you that you don't care about their pencil or you don't care about their dreams or their likes, then they're going to stop talking to you. They're, they're just going to, they're going to start to feel that you don't value them. And guess what? These LGBTQ communities, Planned Parenthood, they do an excellent job yep. of making your children feel valued. That's right. And that is a big, big reason that those children are glomming onto them. It's like, it's basically a cult. It is a cult mentality. They start to groom them. They start to teach them their, their ideology. And then they applaud them when they speak it. I mean, literally applaud them when they speak it. And so now they start to feel like I have a purpose. I can do something in this world because they taught me. They, they trust me to be a leader of this message. We have to do that for our children. We have to help them know that they are valued in our eyes, that they don't have to be a replication of ourselves, that they are individuals, that they are unique and just really speak into their lives and help them to feel valued and give them purpose in your little family. You know, what is their purpose within your family? Because that's a big deal. So when it and comes they, to kids mm -hmm. having sex, I mean, what is the truth? Because Planned Parenthood wants everyone to assume every kid is having oral, anal, and vaginal sex, right? And then, uh, you know, you have like the extreme religious groups that are like, do not ever even say the word sex. Like, don't even put it in your kid's mind. Don't even talk about it. Like, and then they'll just magically not do it. So I, I feel like you would just have two extremes on the far left and the far right. What is the truth? You know, our kids in middle school, high school, really having a lot more sex than we think? Are they not having a lot of sex? And then when is the appropriate time to talk to them about it? I think that what's more important is to recognize that our children are going to go through puberty and they're going to be curious and they're going to get new feelings and their bodies are going to develop in different ways and they're not going to understand how that feels and all of that is normal. It is normal that our children want to become close to someone. It is not healthy that we just allow them to become sexually active. And so you're right. There, there's these extremes, but like, for example, um, you know, when my son approached me, when he was barely about to start puberty and, and he, he asked very specific questions about what was happening to him, he was very shocked about his body and how it was responding. And the first, and he looked scared. He was, he was scared because he didn't know what was happening. His body was changing. 
And the first thing I said was, you know what? Congratulations. Your body is doing exactly what God created it to do. So you're, you're like, you're on time. You're healthy. You're doing it. This is good. <laughs> you know, and right. he's like, really? I'm like, yes, this is good. You know, you're, you're healthy. It's fine. And then we started having conversations. Now I didn't tell him everything like, okay, my body responds this way. Why? He doesn't know, need to know all the details and he didn't want to know all the details. You just slowly start to present more and more to them as they get a little older. And as they ask questions, the key is, is that parents need to be educated to able to answer those questions in appropriate ways, including about the culture. And so, you know, um, you know, I, I just shared simple biology with him when he was really young. And as he got older, he started to put two and two together. And he said, okay, I understand the egg and the sperm come together to make a baby, but how did the egg and the sperm finally get together? <laughs> like, good question. Now you're older. Let's talk about that. And you just do it little by little. Uh, what happens in a school is that they're just, you know what, it's a six-week program. You get it when you're in the fifth grade or in the sixth grade or whenever they start doing it. And now we're seeing that they're doing it in preschool even, and there is no stop. Well, what is, is the appropriate is role no that a public school should play in sex education? In my opinion, they have zero role in teaching sex education. Zero, absolutely zero role in teaching sex education. The public school system has a zero role in teaching children about their identity. Identity begins to form the minute that they're born and within their family. Uh, that is between the parent and, and those children, their children, or if they're adopted, it's between the family. Uh, sex is the same thing. Everyone has different values and beliefs about sexuality. Um, I have mine. The school has zero role in teaching your child about sex. What parents have a responsibility to do, though, is to sit down and figure out what, what are your beliefs? What are your beliefs about it? If you're a person of faith, have, you know, you might have to learn it all from, from, the, from, from the start. You might have to start in Genesis again, <laughs> but you need to know where you, where you stand. And I even talk to parents you know, that say, prepare yourself now. Um, to think about how you will respond if your child does become sexually active um, and they do conceive a child. Um, think about it now because you want your response to be pro proper. So when I teach parents, I'm not giving them this um, like, oh, because you teach sex education and you teach them to wait until marriage that they're going to do it. They are just like us. They are also sinful. They will make mistakes. And so it's important for us to show mercy and grace to our children and forgiveness, just like God does that for us. But for, in other words, I want parents to be ready and prepared to know how are you going to respond when you catch them watching porn or if they do conceive a child. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, be prepared, be prepared. Um, and, and no, majority of the children are not sexually active. It's actually been declining. Um the other myth do you that's think, out there. Can I, can I just pause you real quick? Do you think that mm -hmm. the number of kids having sex has been declining because the number of kids watching porn has been on the uprise? That is definitely something that I've heard as well, that it's possible that it's because of social media. Um, maybe not only pornography, but possibly because they are communicating with one another online more than they are face to face especially now with COVID, um, comprehensive sex education and all these alternative kind of teachings that you're seeing out there, even during COVID, they were encouraging people to stay sexual, but just do it online. Um, and so we might be seeing that that might be a part of it, but I, I don't think it's all of it. I don't think that's the whole, the whole story. I don't know that anyone knows for sure, but, um, but, you know, it's still true, though, that when we are seeking out these healthy relationships with our kids within the family, even if they're, your kids are rolling their eyes at you, whatever it may be, they really want to hear from their parents. They want to be able to depend on their, kid, on their parents to guide them. And it's our responsibility, whether we're popular or not, it's our responsibility to do that. Um, and I, I also have a strong stance that social media, smartphones are just not appropriate for our kids at all. Um, I don't use TikTok, but every once in a while I'll open it just to see 
something and immediately I'm bombarded with sexuality. And I don't even search TikTok. Like I don't really know how it works that well. But as soon as I look at it, it's already so I know that is is if a little girl or a little boy opened it up immediately what they're going to see. And it is rewiring their brains to believe that that's what's normal. And it's really desensitizing them. Absolutely. And I I think one of the most shocking things about your story, Monica, to me is that you were doing this comprehensive sex education in the late 90s, early 2000s era. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, was then. And now look at how where we are now in terms of how progressive sex education has gotten. So I can't imagine how bad it is now in the classroom. Have you heard anything about that and just what's going on today? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, so a lot, I mean, everything that we talked about is in the classroom and more. So they also give the kids a lot of supplemental material. So there's a curriculum that parents can look at. But what I tell parents is look at the curriculum, figure out if it's risk reduction or not. Is it comprehensive sex education or not? So really at that moment, you don't want it in your school. Start trying to get rid of it. But then the next thing you can also ask for is the teacher manual, because the teacher manual is going to have even more information about how the teachers are going to speak to the children about sexuality. Uh, and it, and it's pretty shocking. Then you want to ask for supplemental material. So what web links are they giving them? What handouts are they giving them? What books are they recommending that they uh, read? Um, what chat rooms are they telling them to go like ask Alice? You know, so there's all these different things that they're referring the kids to research in their own time, in addition to what they learned in the class. And it is horrific what's going out there. Uh, Scarletine is a book that's highly recommended to kids to read. And it it just covers some of the most deviant sexual activities that I, when I saw it, I was really shocked that, that any of that was even in there. I mean, blood play, all kinds what? of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's called Scarletine. And but why do you need pushed? to talk? Okay, well, I under. It is. Yeah. It is more under. It's okay. Let me just. <laughs> I'm getting so Alex, I'm telling you, if you've got young parents listening right now, you must reject comprehensive sex education, and you must become a very strong, strong individual to be able to say no. My children will not have access to the internet. Yes. It, that is just an absolute must because your children's brains will be completely rewired by looking at this stuff and it comes up immediately. See, I, I don't agree. I, I'm with you. I don't agree that the school has any role in teaching kids about sex whatsoever. However, I can at least like sort of wrap my r- mind around talking about the basics like, you know, vaginal sex, anal sex, oral sex, like the basics, okay? But going into weird, like random, obscure kinks and all these different weird sectors of, you know, sex, what is the purpose of bringing up some of that stuff to kids at all? And their argument is like, we just need to educate them on every single random weird thing possible? Yeah, and I would go, I'm more conservative than that even, Alex. I don't believe that the school should be teaching our children about oral or anal sex. Well, I don't either. I'm just saying when I hear their arguments, I'm like, okay, like we have to teach the kids the basics. But then for how do they defend going into that stuff? Well, they they don't defend it. And you know that. You've heard all the liberal talking points. It's it's just, it's basically just saying you need to, you need to give it to us. Um, you know, I was testifying at the State Board of Education in, in Texas, and there was a lot of young adults who had been trained by liberal organizations that were affiliated with Planned Parenthood, SICUS, you know, Texas Freedom Network here in Texas. And they all had very similar language. So you could tell that they had been trained on what to say in support of comprehensive sex education. But what was really shocking is that um, they actually literally said as a you know, as a lesbian youth, um, for example, I would, I, the sex education in my school is not inclusive. And I didn't know how to have lesbian sex. I didn't know how to have sex with my lesbian lover because I never received that education. And they were literally asking for the public school system to teach them all of the details on how to have sex with another girl. And they specifically said what they wanted, you know, from toys, whatever, it was shocking. I mean, they, it, it, our public schools are supposed to be institution of academics, not a sex ed 101. 
And so parents who are of the mind that they want their children to learn that, then go to Planned Parenthood, go to those organizations, but it does not have to be in our taxpayer funded schools. But of course, our government is doing that because they do want that. They do want to break down family. They do want to break down the identities of our children. They do want to make those things happen because now they're dependent. Um, the, The more that they can teach them a secular humanist ideology and make them believe that there are no absolute truths, then those people, those children can be easily manipulated, not only as children, but as adults. And so to me, that is really the big push behind it is to end the privatization of family. It is to bring up and rewire the brains of all of these children to believe that there is no absolute truth. And, and so when no one knows an absolute truth, they don't know right or wrong. Uh, all of a sudden law doesn't mean anything because there is no morality. And so now we just have this society that's in chaos. And so as I see a lot of my friends and different people going and, and, and voting and, and creating bills, I keep saying we need to focus on education as well, because if we don't make that stop, everything we do today to protect our children will be undone right. by our children. And so what are you future. doing and working on now that uh, parents can go to you for help or you know, what services do you offer? Or what are you doing with your activism? Right. With my activism locally, I work, you know, very closely with a lot of different parent organizations, training them on how to speak on these topics. I I don't believe that I should be the one speaking at their school board meeting, but I train up the parents so that they understand the issues and they know to speak, you know, so I really try to train up other leaders basically. And then I think the real solution is bringing it back home. Um, I'm a mama bear. My, my children are already grown. They're adults, but if my child was, if I was placing my child, if I knew my child was in an environment that was being where they were being abused on a daily basis, I, I mean, I would have to, I would pull them out. Right. And it, it would mean, and I was a single mom for nine years it would mean I'd have to live with my mom. It would mean whatever it I needed to do to ensure that my child was not in harm's way. And I really think it's time to, to truly strengthen family from within. And Alex, I'm meeting a lot of young people your age um, who haven't gotten married or are married now. And they're asking for an ideal about relationship. Like they are saying, I want to know what is the ideal relationship? What's the ideal? True, for we are. What's the ideal? <laughs> yes. I'm hearing that. And, and, uh, and a lot of people say, Monica, you need to have a secular message, you know, as well. I'm like, no, th- there's only one ideal and that is in Jesus Christ. So I'll tell you this. The only reason that I finally could see how this was harming children and whole communities, and adults included, was because I be, I came to Christ when my son was a year old. I had him out of wedlock. I almost aborted him, obviously changed my mind, had my son, wow. came to Christ when he was a year old. And that's when I finally started to see things differently. He gave me eyes to see. And, and so I know that there's one solution, and that is to strengthen the Christian family. And, and it's not about the entertainment. It's not about what good band is at the church. It's about you spending time as a parent, as a single adult in the word of God so that you can discern right from wrong and, and be prepared to begin a family and to raise those children. And we need to start educating our children from within so that they are, can actually stand and be able to defend their faith and to know right from wrong when they're in the world. How can people find you online, Monica, and get in contact with you to learn more? Sure. Um, they can find me at monicacline.com or, or at ittakesafamily.org. Let me tell you, this was one of the most um, anxiety-inducing interviews that I've done on this show. My blood is boiling, but I feel uh, encouraged to to fight, even though I'm not a parent yet, um, still getting involved in knowing what's going on in my community, going to those school board meetings in my community, and uh, just having these conversations with other young moms, especially my mom friends, about all of the stuff that you talked about today, sometimes it's really hard to hear, but um, extremely important because I think that's the biggest problem is that a lot of young Christian conservative women do not want to talk about this or hear this stuff. And so it just we just give that you know over to the left and we can't be doing that anymore. So I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this bill over. 
Absolutely. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And if they want to get a quick overview of what all this looks like, I highly recommend that they look up the mind polluters on fearlessfeatures.com or .org. Um, and, and that film really breaks it all down the sex education in the schools, as well as social emotional learning. Amazing. Thank you, Monica. You're, oh, thank you very much for having me. This sure was a sobering conversation, was it not? This is why, as a parent, you have to be brave and feel encouraged to ask tough questions to your child's teachers. What does your curriculum look like this year? If they're learning about sex, who is being brought in to talk to them about sex? Where does that person's training come from? The evidence is written all over the walls, culture, so much of our educational system, media. All of it takes the innocence of children and exploits it. They don't see your child as your child. They see your kids as sexual beings, as the state's children, and as a part of their sick agenda that twists sexuality and gender. It's time to reclaim what the home means in our kids' lives. Parents know best. The closest family members to a child know best. And I am so grateful for people like Monica who speak up, tell the truth even when it's hard, and teach parents how to do the same in their communities. Please, please share this episode to your stories like wildfire to spread the word about what type of education is taking place across the country. Stories like this are one of the many reasons I love what I do. So click subscribe and leave a five-star review if you felt like this was an important topic and you'd like to hear more because that helps us reach even more people. New episodes of The Spillover come out every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. But if you prefer to watch an episode, you can subscribe to the Poplitics YouTube channel when the episode drops. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye.